problem we have in reconciling matters, sometimes of history, that conflict with our moral sense or our beliefs. For those seeking, it can be a reason not to become a Christian. Because of, they will say, because of the Spanish Inquisition, the Crusades, maybe the martyrs at Lewis, the Northern Ireland Troubles, where they will point out the two sides, and other similar examples. And from these concepts arise that of the just war and the holy war. But whatever aspect you choose, the basis is that God is on your side. These issues have again risen in Libya. The Libyan papers no doubt reflect some of this. The war, the conflict, the bombing, the suffering. And these issues rise in our mind where freedom versus powerful dictation, dictatorship exists, where power and oppression appears to be evident. And motives become mixed, don't they? Power, money, the arms industry, oil, its supply, its value, its control, influence, democracy, the status quo, and past bad experiences of intervention, and past bad experiences of non-intervention. But what standards does God set us as Christians in these circumstances? Let us look together now, and in each part we will consider the world's values and response and I trust that from Scripture this will give us food for thought and maybe individually for you some Bible answers to the question I mentioned at the beginning. Let us turn to Luke 6, verse 27. It's all up on the screen. If you can see it, if not, it's in your Bibles. Luke 6, verse 27. Somebody like to shout out the page number for those... Page number for those who want to use the books. Thank you, Helen. 976. Just before we go through it, a line at a time, you just need to look at context. It's so important when preaching off the word that you look at the context, you look at its setting. You can get into error by just taking a small piece and holding it up and saying, ah, this is, this is the truth, this is it. You must look in the context, it's so important. Now this passage comes after the so-called Sermon on the Plain. Contrast that with the later Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus here conveys the blessings of the Beatitudes. And then there follows a section that is often called the woes. It is a section on sorrows foretold. And then this is our passage for today. And I will read. Luke 
But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Back to the beginning. Verse 27. But if you're willing to listen, right at the beginning, Jesus, if you are willing to listen, you could put that in brackets, couldn't you? This is going to be hard for you to hear and comprehend. Your natural mind is going to fight against this. You're going to think with every ounce that can't be it. It's too hard, it's too difficult. Your old nature may rise up and look what is to come? Where do we start? Love. Who? Your enemies. Immediately, there is this jarring, isn't that, in our spirit. Love your enemies. So the first part is that love. And then the second part is the do good. And this theme resonates throughout this passage. Do good. To who, again? Those who love you. No, no. No, those who hate you. You see, it's not very long in Scripture, is it? There's the problem set out. But not very long for how to do it. Look at verse 28. Pray for happiness for those who curse you, in effect, is saying. The blessing you give cancels the effect of curse. Pray for happiness. Pray for those who hurt you. It's powerful stuff, isn't it? It's effective stuff. But there's two parts to it. You have to do your bit in order to enable God to do his works. No prayer in these areas, no God action. Next, the slap on the cheek, John. Can we have that? The slap on the cheek. Just pause. The sting, can you feel it? 
They used to do it with jewels in this country. You know, you slapped somebody with a glove. It was an insult. And certainly in Eastern terms, to slap somebody across the face is the deepest of insult, almost compared with showing them the soles of your feet. It's the ultimate insult is to beat and show the soles of your feet or your slippers or shoes as they did when they tore down the statue of Saddam Hussein. They beat on it with dirty soles of shoes. And this slap on the cheek, the sting, the pain, the rejection. And what does Jesus say? Turn the other cheek. No Old Testament vengeance, no retribution. But do you see, it's God's high standard, not the world's standard. If someone demands your coat, now in your chilly reduced wear, you offer your shirt also. Now you must realize that in the Israeli sun, those two layers are probably it. I don't think they wear string vests or winter vests there. So your coat goes and then your tunic, cloak and tunic. But I just like this concept of really, you've got a coat and maybe a shirt or an undergarment. Then give what you have, and to who? To anyone who asks you for it. Do you feel your mind fighting against that? Do you find your spirit there? Is the zip on your purse done up? And then even worse, isn't it? Look, and when things are taken off you, yeah, that's mine. You've got my book. You've got my, what does it say? Don't try to get it back. Notice it's love for enemies, doing good as in verse 1, doing good. By these actions, these examples, then really this comes to the most important thing. If you don't listen to anything else or take anything else in today, so you're suffering from lack of sleep, from losing the hour, then comes the centrality of the teaching, God's standard, verse 31, do for others as you would have them do to you. Searing, isn't it? You do to others as you'd like to be treated and dealt with. You see, but Jesus then emphasizes, he shows the standard again. Do you deserve credit for loving those who love you? No, even sinners do that. So that's nothing special. That doesn't take you to God's standard. Loving those who love you leaves you very firmly rooted in the world's standard. No, even sinners do that. Do good to those who are good for you. Another world standard. So Jesus says, is that so wonderful? Is that so wonderful? They're biting words, aren't they? Another one comes, if you lend money only to those who can repay, what good is that? Do you see there written in large letters the bank's standard, the affordability test, the bank asking you, where's your security for this money? If you lend money only to those who repay, what does Jesus say? What good is that? He says it's useless, it's worthless. 
The bank standard is rejected by Jesus. Why, even sinners will lend to their own kind for a full return. You see, it's a world value. Verse 35, lend to them and don't be concerned that they may not repay. Love your enemies, be good to them. We're back to verse 1 again, right at the beginning. When Jesus repeats things, he does it because they're important. He doesn't do it for meaningless repetition. It's because he's trying to convey matters that are so important to convey God's standard, Christian standard, not leaving us at the level of the world's standards and actions. The result of these actions, verse 35, as I said, then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will be acting as, I like the phrase here, children of God. That one is sons, and obviously sons means daughters. But you're children of God. The most high, of course, is God the Father. Just a simple rewording there, the most high. And what's God's nature? What is the motivation for him giving us these guidances of God's standard? His nature, verse 35, is to be kind to the ungrateful. Well, I think we can cope with that. We can sort of understand that. But take the next bit. Does that not smack you between the eyes? God is kind to the wicked. But do you see that God loves the wicked? He does not like their sin and wickedness. His nature is to love, and that includes the wicked. His nature is love and compassion. Verse 36, you must, look at that, must, not may, not might like to, not tomorrow, not next week, you must be compassionate just as your father. Who's your father? The most high God, God the Father. What is he? He's compassionate. He is compassion. You see, God's high standard of response is for us to follow as Christians, not to be conformed to the world's standards, the world's response. This talk started with a simple question. And our personal answer depends on our free choice. God's higher way or the lower way of the world. You choose, but please, please try not to miss out on that key sentence in Scripture, that promise, your very great reward from the most high in heaven, as a child of God. Amen.